Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We hope you'll, everyone in the audience, will join in in the conversation today as the panelists discuss your questions and comments. With us today, we have Scott from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well, Drew. How are you doing today? Doing very good, thank you. Also from uh, Gettysburg is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And from Exton, we have Jeff. Jeff, good to see you also. Hello, Drew. Hello, Scott. Hello, Stephen. And hello to everyone. And Noah is also here. Our webcast engineer is going to be helping us with uh, your questions and comments as they come in. Hello. Hi, Noah. And I'm Drew, your host from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And welcome, everybody, to the program today. And, and as I mentioned every week, we want to hear from you in the audience, the live audience. So go ahead and text us your questions or if you're coming in on the uh, zoom app you just click on the q a button there button and it'll pop up the window you can keep it open all during the program and uh text in your questions from there but you also can call in we're waiting for that first person to want to launch out and use their audio their computer microphone just raise your hand by clicking that hand icon and that'll tell us that you want to come in and speak with us and give us a question or comments Go ahead and do that. So, and Stephen, uh, give us the options they have on your Facebook page. Yeah, if you're joining on my Facebook page today, please feel free to leave your comments and questions in the comments below, and we'll try to get to those as they come in. Great. Okay, so we do have a question that just recently came in from someone in our viewing audience, um, and we wanted to start off with that. And during the program, while we're discussing it, Again, you can ask anything relating to the discussion at hand right now, or you could ask another question that's totally different on topic. It's, it's open game on any questions you want to bring in. So today we're going to be talking and answering a question about the Ark of the Covenant. Where is it? Where was it? And when did it go? Or where is it? So, uh, Scott, you want to start <laughs> off with that? Well, we could... Uh start off with Indiana Jones, but that would be their own starting point. <laughs> That's why I went to you first. We couldn't, we couldn't get 30 seconds into this without going to the Indiana Jones thing. Well, that's what everybody thinks about. It's, it, <laughs> duh, it's in a, where, a government warehouse. Like, of course. Yeah. After it, and, and after everybody saw what happened to the Nazi, you know, everybody's willing to believe it there, apparently. Uh, but aside from Aside from the Indiana Jones movie, what yeah, is the on Bible? a more serious note, let's get back to the serious note. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you want to? Did you want to hit him with a question, Stephen? Oh no, I was just going to read the original question. Uh, the original question comes from Carol because I thought she had some interesting ways of asking this. She asks, um, "Have you ever thought about what was behind the curtain in the most holy place after the temple was destroyed and then rebuilt by the people after the return?" Then when Jesus died and the curtain was torn, what was behind it? What did the high priest do behind the curtain that one time each year? What was the blood of atonement sprinkled on? The Ark of the Covenant was not there. Um, so that's the original question we're working with and kind of the related questions of, um, you know, what, what was actually going on in the most holy place once we get to the time of the New Testament. Um, so that's uh, kind of the question we're, we're dealing with right now. Yeah, and I'm glad Carol asked that question because when I got it, you know, I didn't give it much thought. There's some assumptions that I made, but I didn't really give it as much thought. And let's get into it, guys. Where is it? 
No. So the last time we see Go ahead, Stephen. Um, the last time we see it in Scripture, at least in the Old Testament, is in Second Chronicles 35. And this is during the reign of King Josiah. And his reforms, Second Chronicles 35, and we're going to start in verse 1. Um, it says, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people, Israel. So Jeremiah, or excuse me, Second Chronicles 35, 3 uh, is the last historical reference we have to the ark actually being put back into the temple that Solomon built. So that's the last time we see it physically uh, in the scriptures during the time of Josiah. Do you have a year? Did you mention the year on it? I did not, um, but we would be looking at, oh boy. Like, Josiah is killed in 609. He reigned, if I remember right, starting around 640 maybe. is that Was it that early? He Anyway, he died in 609, so it's prior to 609. Okay. B.C. B.C. <laughs> okay. It, you know, Which leaves us. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we, we end up with dead air there because we don't know when you get right down to it. We don't know what became of the Ark of the Covenants. We know that, we know that the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple. We know that Nebuchadnezzar took a lot of the vessels uh, to, to Babylon. And we see further mention of those vessels uh, in Belshazzar's time, for example, and uh, in Daniel, the um, fifth chapter. Um, but we don't know what became of the Ark of the Covenants. There are some interesting things that we can talk about, about why we don't know. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 3 I hope we'll, we'll look at here. Um, but just the thing I want to emphasize is we don't know, but there are some some lessons that we can talk about maybe. Well, before we get into, because there is some secular history, I think that mentions it and gives us some indication uh, uninspired, but yet it's secular history is written down. But before we get to that, I, I do want to go to what you were recommending we do Jeff over there in Jeremiah three, because I don't recall seeing this before or how many times I've read it or in the study. I don't remember until it hit me this morning that there's going to be a time when, his people will not even remember or want to care and they won't miss the ark nor shall it be made again. And th this is significant in a couple of ways. One, because it's, it's underscoring this principle that we see in the Bible that in the old Testament, these physical things that were made with hands were not the ultimate reality. They were mere representations of a reality that was the real thing but it was spiritual. So you've got this physical temple itself, which is built of stones. And the real temple is the one that's made up of living stones, as First Peter says in chapter 2 and verse 5. And this is the, really the point of the language in spirit and in truth in John chapter 4, where the woman in Samaria wants to know who's right. Do we worship in this mountain like the Samaritans do or in Jerusalem like the Jews say? The Jews had a temple in, in Jerusalem. The Samaritans in previous years had built a temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. 
And she's hung up in this controversy, which physical temple is the right one or which physical location is the right one. And Jesus says, in essence, Jesus says, well, the Jews have had it right, but the hour is coming and now is when those that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and truth, not in physicality using the physical temple, which is merely a copy, but the spiritual is the true. People miss that point when they think that Jesus is is saying, well, your doctrine has to be right, so it has to be true, and you have to have the right attitude, so it has to be a good spirit. Jesus is talking about spirit and truth as opposed to physical and mere copy. Cool. I've read that those passage before. Reference again. In John yeah. 4? The, the reference. No, Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah yeah. 3. Yeah, so it's Jeremiah yeah. 3, verse 16. Mm-hmm. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it. Of course, that sounds like Isaiah 2, for example, uh, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. I don't want to get off topic, but it ties in with this. Rain me back if it gets too far off topic. But when I read that this morning, the uh, the thought that came to mind was some recent conversations that I was having with uh, people that believe that the kingdom hasn't been established yet, and it's God's kingdom, and it's in the future sometime. Well, if that's the case, if that theory is accurate, then that kind of that kind of complicates this particular phrase because there's a time when they're not going to want to remember it. There's a time it won't be made again. We don't have it today. We well, don't that, have work today. Yeah. And you see, you see the connection. Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. So the premillennialists are expecting the physical worship of the Jews to be reinstated and the physical temple to be rebuilt. And so this was a question I was going to ask you guys. Have you ever heard a premillennialist say anything about? The Ark of the Covenants, when in their system of things, when the Jews go back and rebuild the physical temple in Jerusalem, what do they say about this passage in Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, verse 16? Do they say, well, the physical temple is going to be rebuilt, but no Ark of the Covenants? Or what do they say about that? I'm not sure. I've not, if we, I've not had that conversation go this far. I think this is a good question. In fact, so I want to, uh, if anyone in the audience uh, does have that uh concept that the kingdom is still off in the future i really please text us and give us some input that how how do you look at this verse have a dialogue about it but anyway so i didn't want to get too far off it but that really jumped out at me yeah and i think the principle as really has already been mentioned here in jeremiah 3 um, where he says they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the lord um you know one of the things that israel struggled with uh, over and over again was putting too much emphasis on the physical manifestation that God gave them of spiritual realities over in chapter seven of Jeremiah. uh, You know, he said, don't trust in the deceiving words. Uh, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, you know, and they were so obsessed. Well, we've got God's temple with us. So therefore we can't be defeated. It doesn't matter how we live um, because God's temples here. It's like our, lucky rabbit's foot or whatever, you know, it's our, our good luck charm. And it, it protects us just by its physical presence. Same thing with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we saw back in like first Samuel, you know, when they took the Ark into battle thinking, Oh, we'll have to win if the Ark is with us. And of course the Ark gets captured and 
gets taken among the Philistines and wreaks havoc over there and then is brought back after a while. God is saying there's going to come a time in the Messianic age when Jesus comes that they're, they're not going to be so desperate for the ark right. because God himself is dwelling among them. So we might, we might ask this question. If the ark, like the outer temple, was a, a mere copy, a mere shadow, what does the ark of the covenants foreshadow? What is it in the New Testament that is the reality? God dwelling within well, that, that would be certainly the idea of the church being the house of God, the temple, and, and the temple made up of living stones, as in 1 Peter 2.5. But there is this interesting connection. In Hebrews 9.5, when the writer is mentioning the furnishings of the tabernacle, and he mentions the mercy seat, which is the lid of the Ark of the Covenants, and that lid had two cherubim on top of it with the wings uh, reaching out, and I think maybe other wings touching each other. But then you have uh, the blood is to come, the the incense is to come, be brought there um, when the high priest comes in on the Day of Atonement. Um, and that word that is translated mercy seat in Hebrews 9.5 is the same word that's used in, for example, Romans 3.25, where Christ has been set forth as a propitiation. So when you think about the idea of mercy seat as a place of mercy or the place or means of, of expiation, um, Jesus is it. Uh, he is our mercy seat. He is their propitiation. His blood makes atonement for us. You know, as we think about the question of what actually physically happened to the Ark of the Covenant, uh, we just we don't know. Um, but putting together a couple of things, one is that you note that when Nebuchadnezzar uh, came in, destroyed Jerusalem, carried off the things of the temple, probably included the ark. I don't think it's specifically mentioned that he carried off the ark. He mentions some of the other covered with gold, with a solid gold lid. You're gonna you're gonna you're take gonna it. Take Right. Yeah. And in Ezra chapter one, uh, we have a, a list of some of the things they brought back at the end of the chapter. Um, but the ark is not mentioned uh, there. It mentions all the bowls and you know different uh, utensils they brought back, but uh, it doesn't appear, at least in the text, that they brought the ark of the covenant back with them from captivity. Scott, let's read that text. If you're reading along at home, we're in Ezra chapter one, and uh, starting in verse six, all were about the. Well, let's start with verse seven. Uh, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, a thousand other vessels, all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Shezbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. I don't know anything about the significance of it. It's a minor point, but it's interesting where in verse 9, the translation from which you are reading says uh, 29 censers, which would be the things, the fire pans, I guess, for the incense. Okay. Uh, well, if I'm thinking right. Um, the New American Standard says 29 duplicates. 
So does the ESV. What does that mean? Well, it, then there's a footnote. It says Hebrew, obscure. In other words, this is a word they're oh. not sure of. Other possible meanings are knives, censers. So um, it's just not to make any kind of point at all. It's just kind of interesting that in that particular instance, they're not exactly sure what that word means. But it's mm-hmm. all instruments, not the ark that's listed. Right, right. We don't see the ark. And so the ark would have been taken uh, in one of these uh, raids with the church of Jerusalem. It's gold. It would have been taken, but it doesn't make it back. But there's a number of decades that have processed in here. We don't know what's happened to it. We're not told what happened to it. I'll suggest a possibility. Uh, if you're the Babylonians and you've hauled it away, and here's some nice bowls and, and uh, vessels and different things. You might leave that just as it is, you know, and, and you remember Belshazzar uses them in a feast. Why, why would you leave them just as they, they are? Because well, they're you, functional. Yeah, they're functional. Right. But it's like if you are a pagan and you worship Marduk and stuff, and what are you going to do with the Ark of a Covenant? <laughs> but well, and, and well, it's kind of big. It's not going to fit on the shelf. But it's like, it's what, what, but you know what? That thing's got an awful lot of gold. Yeah. So, you know, the, perhaps that was melted down. Yeah. Uh, but the, it was missing, and we can see some historical evidence from this from the book of Second Maccabees. Now, this is not scripture, but it, we can find out some historical information here. So from Second Maccabees, which is written about 124 years before Christ, I'll screen share, whatever, I'll just read it to you. Uh, Second Maccabees. Maybe later, by the way, maybe later. What's that? Maybe later. May have been oh, okay. written later than that. Oh, okay. Um, and here's what the text in Second Maccabees says, chapter 2. Now, the, and I don't think everything in here is true, but the point is you wouldn't have Jews believing this, say, a century before Christ or reporting it if everybody knew that the ark was actually in the temple. So this is just kind of witness to the fact that they realize it's not there. So it says in 2 Maccabees 2 that one finds in the records that the prophet Jeremiah ordered those that were deported to take such things. And then in verse 4, it was also in the same document that the prophet, talking about Jeremiah, having received an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should follow with him, and that he went out to the mountain where Moses had gone up and had seen the inheritance of God. Jeremiah came and found a cave dwelling, where he brought the tent and the ark and the altar of incense. Then he sealed up the entrance. Some of those filed with him came up intending to mark the way, but could not find it. When Jeremiah learned of it, he rebuked them and declared, the place shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, the point is not that Jeremiah really did that, uh, or that we know that Jeremiah did that. The point is you wouldn't have a tale like this going around if the ark had been returned and was sitting in its place. Right, right. Good. Good point. Um, we've, got a, we've got a question from a viewer that, that I can answer real quickly here. Um, a viewer asks, Jeff, are you actually wearing three shirts and a jacket? Uh, yes. All right, now. <laughs> there is one other mention of the ark in the New Testament, and it occurs in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. 
Um, and this is at the end of the seven trumpets of Revelation. We don't want to get off onto a whole study of Revelation. But uh, the very last verse of Revelation 19, uh, so this is Revelation 11, uh, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Um, so there is a mention in John's vision of the Ark of the Covenant appearing in God's temple in heaven. Now, I think in the context here, you know, we've got a lot of different things in John's vision that I don't think we're meant to take literally that those objects or items or creatures are actually physically existing. Um, but this is a picture of God's presence as represented by the Ark of the Covenant they're there in heaven. Uh, some have tried to speculate from this verse that God like took the physical Ark of the Covenant up to heaven um, and like transported it up there. And that's where it is now. I, I don't think that's what we're to take from Revelation 11. Um, but just this is another What's that? A good way to illustrate that would be the passage you were pointing to the other day, Stephen, on a different topic in Revelation 5. You see the bowls of incense and then we're told what that was. It was the prayers of the saints. Prayers of the saints. And, and so we're, we're not to look at that and say, oh, now we know where the bowls of incense went. Uh, <laughs> Revelation is, is a symbolic book. Well, that whole verse has to be symbolic because if it, if it physically is the ark that was brought into the spiritual heaven, then that's the only thing that's physical there because the rest of us, whoever is in heaven, are in spiritual bodies. Flesh and blood is not in heaven, but yet the ark is, the physical ark. It doesn't make sense to me. And yeah. then you got the hail. And, and Cassandra mentions just like the sword literally coming out of his mouth. Of course, the description of Jesus in Revelation 1 is not a physical, literal description, but is a picture uh, of Jesus. It's what John saw, for sure. So, so uh, I think the point you're trying to make, Stephen, is that this is the last time we actually in the scriptures see the term used representing the ark, but it's not the physical. So it's not telling us where it is. Well, by the way, it's definitely not in a temple on the earth, even from that verse. Yeah. It just doesn't say where it is physically. So we still don't know exactly when we have the idea of when it was missing, became missing. Right. Last seen during the days of Josiah. Right. And, and Scott, and going back to the question, so what would have been there when the priests went in on the uh, uh, the once a year? What would have been what would have been seen when the veil was rent? The answer would be not the ark. Yes. <laughs> why? Uh, let me give two illustrations that'll maybe help us think about it. Uh, Orthodox Jews today, I understand, when they celebrate the Passover. They don't, they've lost the temple, they've lost the Levitical priesthood, so they no longer have the Paschal Lamb. Now, the Samaritans actually do. A lot of people don't know this, but the Samaritans, who are still up there at Mount Gerizim, they still celebrate the Passover with sacrificed lambs. Uh, back around 1919, National Geographic had an article in showing it and everything, uh, but the Jews, their place was Jerusalem in the temple. That's been gone. And so after 70 AD, they don't have that, but they still do Passover. And what I understand Orthodox Jews do, and maybe some others, what goes on their plate? They've got the bitter herbs. They can replicate that. 
but there's, there's no Passover lamb, so they put a dry bone on the plate, just reminding them and reminiscent of what they don't have. Uh, a biblical example, um, Daniel, um, who, when he's young, the temple would have been standing and everything, but the, uh, he's taken away to Babylon. He can't go to Jerusalem anymore. He can't go to the temple anymore. Um, and what does he, what does he do three times a day? He prays toward Jerusalem. Yeah. And where the temple had been. So, uh, the, the point being, uh, that, you know, sometimes once you don't have what you had, you, you proceed with what you've got, which kind of follows a principle again of second Corinthians eight in verse 14, where it says the Lord, uh, doesn't require from us what we don't have, uh, when, when there's a willingness to do that. Uh, so the priest before the time of Christ, they're still offering sacrifices as was in the law, but they don't have an ark to sprinkle it on. And then we have Christ that makes the whole thing unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So, so this, this kind of question is interesting because we're always fascinated when there are archaeological discoveries uh, that show evidence of the existence of people mentioned in the Bible or where there are archaeological discoveries of structures, places that are mentioned in the Bible. Um, we're always interested in those kinds of things. And so then there are some things that people want to know, hey, how about Noah's Ark? How about the Ark of the Covenants? Uh, Various things like this. In in the Middle Ages, when the Crusaders would go over to the Holy Land, they would come back with pieces of wood that they claimed were pieces of the true cross, and they would make money off of it. They'd set it up in a little inn someplace in Europe, and they would advertise it as the inn of, yeah, maybe it'd be called the inn of the true cross or something. I don't know. But in any event, that would be a, a, a gimmick for their business. And it was said that there were enough pieces of the true ark brought back to Europe to build a ship, which says something about the authenticity of those things. But here's the point I want to get at. Um, what would have become of the Ark of the Covenants if it still existed today? And when we think about that, we might see that maybe God doesn't want that Ark of the Covenants to, to be found today. There's another thing in the Old Testament that did hang around for hundreds of years, and what became a bit is probably what would become of the Ark of the Covenants. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Bronze serpent. So the bronze serpent was something that the people were looked to um, when they had been complaining, and God sent snakes among them that were biting the people, and they were they were dying as a result. And so they then turned to Moses and asked him to intercede with God, and Moses did. And God said, "We'll build this bronze serpent, and if you look to it when you're bitten, then then you won't die." And of course, Jesus connects himself with that when he says. In fact, we've got somebody saying Jesus is our ark today. His presence is God's. Jesus is our uh, bronze serpent about a standard. Jesus said in John 3.15, yeah, Jesus said in John 3.15, the Son of Man must be lifted up in the wilderness, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And so um, just as we are dying because of the bite of sin, our sin is on that cross in the person of Jesus Christ being punished, and we look to him in faith and are saved from the death, from the bite of the sin. There's something, you mentioned something, Jeff, and I want to share a screen on this. 
about the relics during the Middle Ages. So, As uh, you do that, it just yeah. occurs to me, we do need to come back and talk about the, the Ark in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll make this short, and then we can get to this. Uh, given the option, we like to see things. You know, the angels say, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this. Uh, John 12, they came that they might see, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Herod was glad to see Jesus, hoped to see some miracle. Thomas, you know, except I see in his hands. And we don't get to see everything. We get to see some things, but not everything. We walk by faith, not by sight. Um, Jesus let them see the miracle of making the man walk so that they would be able to perceive what they couldn't see, forgiveness of sin. But in the Middle Ages, they really, they liked the idea of being able to see something. So, for example, here we have uh, the chains of Peter. Uh, here we have the chains of Paul, or vice versa. <laughs> that is the tomb of the three wise men. Their bones and remains are in that tomb, if you believe the relic places and stuff. And uh, I, some of this is behind our picture. I can't figure it out there. That's John the Baptist's head. Um, that's also John the Baptist's head. One of them is a replica because it was destroyed at a different point. There were two or three places that had John the Baptist's head. And I had one father visited Italy say that he was told, um, well, ours is John the Baptist's head when he was younger. Theirs is John the Baptist's head when he was older. <laughs> Uh, and and on eBay, <laughs> on eBay, look here. On eBay, and you can buy it now. I forget the price; it's covered up by our pictures. But there's locks of hair from all twelve apostles. I see forty-two hundred dollars. So there you go. So uh, we had a comment from Holly saying, uh, "I agree. I don't think he wants us to find it because it might lead people astray when they start worshiping it." And we mentioned this a minute ago, but the scripture reference for that is in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you go back to that because we never did make the point that over time that bronze serpent that Moses made, the people started burning incense to it. And then in Hezekiah, 2 Kings 8, I mean in 2 Kings 18 verse 4, Hezekiah destroys it as he's destroying other forms of idolatrous uh, worship. Yeah. Passage. It says there, Second Kings 18, verse 4, this is talking about Hezekiah. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, one of the idols. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Um, so, so a parallel would be if somebody is worshiping the cross, if, you know, you wear the cross and you believe by wearing the cross, you are somehow going to be blessed or have good luck or, or any sort of thing like that. Um, the cross itself is not the thing that is significant. It's Jesus who died on the cross that is significant. Now, you know, I'll just say this real quick. For that reason, the song... Um, the Old Rugged Cross. The Old Rugged Cross. It goes just a little bit too far toward focusing upon the cross itself for me. Um, you guys may, may or may not agree. I don't know. But. Yeah, you just have to be careful. I think it depends on how we sing it. Because um, when you think of the cross, of course, the, the whole purpose of the Lord giving the bronze serpent, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple, you can look at any of these Old Testament shadows and say, 
they were to be looked to, but they were to be appreciated, not so much because of what they were, but because of what they represented. And that, that's a, a really important um, uh, point for us to realize. If we have the reality of those things, we don't need to focus on the, the external representations of those things. Ready to talk about Ethiopia? Yeah, go yeah. for it. Well, I was hoping you were ready because I don't know much about it. I know the Ethiopians claim they have the Ark of the Covenants. Yep, <laughs> they claim they've got it, and uh, uh, we're not allowed to go in and see it. No. Uh, I've been working this uh, for a while now on some research. A friend of mine's written a book, and it uh, is based in part on work of Nicholas Notovich. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but there's a whole bunch of books out there all about, based on Nicholas Notovich's claim to have found a manuscript at a, a remote monastery about Jesus having spent his early life in India, studying with the Buddhists and stuff. Uh, and he says he saw this manuscript. The problem with it is uh, we don't get to see the manuscript. Kind of like... Uh, uh, Joseph Smith and the uh, yeah. Golden Plates. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's not just that we're not getting to see Jesus in India, but this manuscript, the record of it is also not available. So it's like, I saw it, it was there. You know, if I we're told the Ark is in the, uh, the building over there, they, they're sitting on quite a tourist gold mine if they would let people look at it. Hey, there's a uni unicorn right here in my parking lot out the window here. There is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Show it to us. Well, um, I, you, no, you can't see it. Well, you can't turn your camera, right? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, I believe the modern phrase is "picks or it didn't happen." Uh, <laughs> so, so, one thing that not everything is there, but when you claim something is still, we shouldn't expect that everything from ancient times is still available for us to look at. When you say, "No, it really is here," it's behind that wall, but I can't show it to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, also, so I guess it, I guess it's clear it sounds like what you guys are saying is that you're 99.9% .9 sure that when the veil was torn at the crucifixion, the day of the crucifixion, what they saw that was revealed, which no one can see anyway, but until it was opened, they actually saw everything. The Holy of Holies without an ark. Without, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's right. a question we did not go into in as much depth as perhaps our audience would like. And that was uh, Jeff's wearing three shirts and a jacket. But the answer is yes, but we still don't know why. <laughs> there's a good reason, but you can't see it. Um, no, <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to explain. I will, I will give a partial explanation. It has been very cold here in the part of the country where yes. really all four of us are. Yes. Uh, we've had single digits, and it got up into the teens some days, um, but it's been down around zero and one degree at night. And um, I've had minus four and five. You had minus four and five. Northeast. It's, yeah. it's, it's not that cold today, but I did have to be out early, early before sunup this morning. And um, it was still kind of cold then. So okay. there you go. All right. Go. Good explanation. Good explanation. And it's, it's cozy. I feel comfortable. <laughs> well, we've got about 10 minutes left. I don't know if we want to move to the tool chest question, Drew. Yeah, well, before we do, I just want to put a plug in for two things. Number one is, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this is the Tuesday edition. 
There's also a BibleQuest.tv Wednesday edition. Um, for those that can watch it on Wednesday, it's at 3 p.m. every Wednesday. Jeff and Joe Works uh, manage uh, or talk or discuss the things on that program, and it's a good program also if you can get to watch that. But I also wanted to throw a plug in for the new course that uh, Joe is actually going to be leading the study uh, on the book of Revelation. And it's a challenging book. And a lot of people know it's a challenging book, but I have to, I can say this because Joe can't hear us right now, but I want to compliment him on the way he deals with this subject. Uh, some of you might've been in that in his courses over the years. And if you want to tune, uh, sign in, we still have some seats left. We have a good number of people coming in and it's a 13 or 14 week course. Just go to christiansinhonesdale.com and there's a button right at the top of the page for the book of Revelation, which starts January 12th. And Joe, like I said, Joe, will be, I'll be doing the technical stuff on that. A little bit of input to give Joe a hard time, but Joe's going to be taking the, the lead on that class. So I want to put in those two plugs. I didn't tell you guys I wanted to do that. I hope you don't beat me too hard on that. That's good. Oh, that's fine. And let's, let's, let's uh, give a couple of other plugs here while we're at it. Go ahead, Joe. Well, just real quickly, one more thing about that claim that the Ethiopians make that they have the Ark of the Covenants. If they did, if, if they had the Ark of the Covenants, then you would have to wonder about Jeremiah chapter 3. Listen again to what Jeremiah chapter 3 says. Of course, what they're going to claim is that they have it and that, it, that these, are, these are God's priests and they're not supposed to let anybody see it, that it's you know God's will that not be shown. But Here's Jeremiah 3 again, talking about the Ark of the Covenants. Uh, it says in verse 16, And it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they miss it, nor shall it be made again. And the point isn't that he, this is an indictment about the people. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm accusing you of not caring about the Ark of the Covenants. No. At that time, verse 17 goes on to say, They shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations will be gathered to it, but the name of the Lord in Jerusalem, that nor shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. This is a messianic passage talking about God's people doing his will and abiding in him, and they're not going to be concerned with the Ark of the Covenants anymore, the physical one. And so it wouldn't make sense then to suppose that the Ark of the Covenants is in existence in Ethiopia and God has willed that it's in the custody of the Coptic church there and that nobody else can see it because it's still a great, holy, significant thing. Well, I guess I, did I just throw a brick out there. <laughs> I, was, I was answering some people uh, uh, here that have uh, put in. Scott Bailey sent a link, but I wasn't able to open it. Uh, Holly Green wrote, does he take the late date? And I was, I was asking her to clarify that. Maybe some of you are paying better attention to know uh, what late date that was about. That's it's like one of those shots I throw up in basketball where it doesn't even hit the <laughs> I think, backboard or anything. I think she might be asking about Joe's revelation class. Oh, oh okay. Oh, oh, late date. There you go. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, no, it says, yeah, that's what it is. That. Yeah, Joe, Joe, I think takes a late date. I, um, if I'm what, what is meant by late date? Uh, it's after an early date. I'll tell you what, I was, in, I was impressed with Alan Williamson's uh, material on a Vespasian date. 
at uh, Exton Lectures too. I've not uh, looked at that before, but I was I found that very interesting. So in, in, in come brief, into, come into the class, pop in. It's free, obviously, free registration. Just join in, and you'll get those answers. In fact, it's an open dialogue class where everyone in the audience will be participating with questions back and forth. So it's a good class. Come on in. What were you going to say, Scott? Jeff? I cut you off. Yeah, I'll leave it. I'll leave it. Leave it for Joe and those who yeah. attend the class. Let's let's get a, a while. We're just re- referencing some other things. Uh, there's two or th- other three things we might mention here and study opportunities. One, uh, for those of you that are interested in, say, uh, working on the Greek a little bit or learning about that, Jeff has a website. And if you're not doing the tests and having the teacher involvement, it's free. Uh, if if you want, uh, if you want a teacher involved in everything else. Of course, that takes time and such, but uh, it's a really good website. And so let's just mention that for people that uh, are interested in it. And what's the, what's the address for that website, Jeff? ntgreek.net. NT as in New Testament, greek.net. <clears throat> and you can just online go through and, and uh, start uh, learning, learning, you know, of course, start with some fundamentals and then... Uh, yeah, there's a, a caveat here. There are quizzes. After, there's a quiz after each lesson that you you study, and that quiz has a script uh, that that is written in Cold Fusion. And right now, that script is not working. the The host company did some chain, made some changes with their server, and so right now, when you take the quiz, you don't get your automatic. Uh, response telling you which ones you got right and which ones you got wrong. So I, I mentioned that just in the event that there is anybody in the audience who is good with cold fusion or would like to rewrite the script in PHP and or something else and, and would be able to help me get that squared away, I would love to hear from you. Um, so while we're talking yeah. about and, and one one more plug throughout there, uh, good commentary on uh, the book of Ephesians that Jeff just wrote recently. And if you'd like to ask him some more questions about that, you can, uh, his email will be up at the end of the program. Uh, and I'll throw in a plug for this. Uh, if you haven't seen them, uh, take a look uh, in my YouTube channel, Three Minute Bible Study. It's Those are great. Those are great. Uh, and uh, there's also a website, threeminutebiblestudy.com. Uh, and again, the number, not the writing out the word three. Uh, each of them are just three minutes long. They're kind of cramp-packed with some charts and simple illustrations on various topics. Well, for now, instance, you can... do, we, we made a lot of recommendations here, a lot of information and good, good stuff. So what I think we'll do is we'll put together an email with all those links in it uh, and send it out to the people. Well, the only email address we may have are those that have signed up on the uh, app, the Zoom app. And we have a, almost 100 people there. So at least those people, if you've signed up and registered on the Zoom app, you'll we'll start sending out things like this that'll have links and connections and follow-up information to send to you. So if you haven't registered for the BibleQuest.tv uh, Zoom app, go ahead and do that. And you can still watch it on any other channel, but you'll be now receiving information on any of these key things that we want to recommend. Yes? We've also got a comment here. Somebody wrote, my preacher believes, talking about the book of Revelation, it was written before Jerusalem was destroyed. And uh, I don't know what all that might or might not entail in his particular view. But let me just reply quickly to one thing. There are people that believe everything in the book of Revelation, uh, it, it surrounds Jerusalem. 
not Rome. And it's the destruction of Jerusalem doesn't really have to do with the Roman Empire. If that's the belief, I would point first off perhaps to Revelation chapter 17, where the harlot that is drunk on the blood of the saints is riding a seven-headed beast. Then in the middle of the chapter, it tells you what the seven heads are, seven hills or mountains that the woman is sitting on. And then the last verse tells us who the woman is. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. In the first century AD, whether you're talking before 70 AD, after 70 AD in the time of Vespasian, or in the time of Domitian, what city ruled the earth? Rome. Yeah, it was Rome. Let me get a quick, just a quick comment. You mentioned the three-minute Bible study, just so people know what that is. For example, if you look at the three-minute Bible study that Scott put together on Romans, in three minutes, you get an overview of the whole book of Romans and an understanding of the flow of that message, and it equips you to go through and read that text with a sense of what's going on in the letter. Uh, he's got a three-minute Bible study on the whole Bible, and in three minutes, you get the flow of the story of the whole Bible. And so it, they're very, they are packed, um, but they're a good way to get a big picture of something, and, and then you can study it in detail. And you know what's nice about those things that are on demand? You can pause it. If you set it too fast, you can back it up. So you can and get there's several spots where I'm speaking pretty fast. Well, so. I was hinting at that, but that's the nice <laughs> thing about the pause button. So then you slow it down, and Scott says, Well, actually, I believe you can slow it down on YouTube now. You can change the speed of the video and do that. I will say uh, we had another uh, comment come in from Scott who said, great blessing to be able to do this from around the country and world all together. And that really is a blessing that we're able to use uh, the technology we have, which is so often used for terrible things, uh, but to try to harness that uh, to spread the word of the Lord and to uh, spend some time discussing his word together on some of these questions. So thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Thank you for your questions. Uh, we you know, keep thanks. coming. Thanks, Drew, for uh, handling all the different things of this that make it able to happen. And while we're throwing out plugs, also, if you want to hear a really, really good song, uh, it's one of my favorite songs, uh, Armor of Light, based on the end of Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's one of the songs that Stephen has written. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, you can contact him. It's a great song. Oh, yeah, and I didn't put up the screen. We didn't have time to do that because we're past time already. But anyone can email any one of us with our first name, whether it be Stephen, Jeff, Scott, or Drew, at BibleQuest.tv. We'll get it. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. See you next time. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye.